We had a wonderful Bible school. I think we had about an average of 300 here a day, had a lot of great decisions. And as far as we know, when Friday ended, everyone went home with all their fingers and toes, and that is a huge sign of success for Bible school. We have a little video we're going to kick this off with, and then I will uh, be right back with you. Most of the time in life, being upside down is not good. Would you agree, Bailey? Yeah. Most of the time in life, we want to be right side up. Well, this morning, Jesus is going to come in, and he's going to turn us upside down, but his upside down is really going to turn us right side up. She loved getting to do that, knowing she was going to get to be on the screen this morning. We're in Luke chapter 6, and we're going to talk about Jesus's, uh, his teachings and his uh, principles, which really are upside down to the world, but they really are right side up. Luke chapter 6, let's begin with this. We need to put money and material things in the right place in our life. It's, it's really interesting how 2,000 years ago, halfway across the world, in a culture so different in so many ways from ours, that their issues and their problems were very similar to ours. And money, material things was uh, right where they were, and it's right where we are today too. Let me, let me tell you this, begin with this. Money and things aren't going to bring you ultimate fulfillment. Anybody in here this morning who is normal and who's psychological healthy, you want the best life you can have. You want a good life. You want your life to matter and to have meaning. And Jesus shows us exactly how to have it and how not to have it. In verse 20, he says, Jesus, it says, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses, or depending on your translation, blessed are you who are poor. Now, we talked about this last week, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Is that a different sermon from this or the same? I believe it's a little different because in, in Matthew 5, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Here, he doesn't say that. He says, blessed are you who are poor. The word poor there means abject poverty. This is a person so poor that they are a beggar. It's not someone who doesn't have many things. This is somebody, Jesus says, that has no nothing. And he uses the word blessed. Boy, the word blessed. We're going to talk more about that in just a second, but let me define this, and again, we'll go back more into it. This is a tremendous biblical word. Blesses here, blessed in your translation. It it literally means to be fully satisfied. It, It is a God inside of you making you satisfied. It's one whose life is satisfied. It's full of joy, happiness, because God lives inside of it. It's, it's, a, it's a blessedness that's not dependent on anything outside of it. Blessed are the poor. Now, in verse 24, these are sister verses, 20 and 21, and then 24 and 25 are their sister verses. He just said, blessed, fulfilled, satisfied is a certain type of poor person. But in verse 24, what sorrow awaits you who are rich? The word rich there means someone who is abounding in wealth. It's not just someone who's got a good checkbook. It's somebody who is overflowing with good stuff. For you have your only happiness and fulfillment now. Wow, what a contrast there. Verse 21, another contrast. God blessed or blessed are you, you who are hungry now, 
For you will be satisfied. The word hungry there means to be famished or to be craving food. Some of you right now, and, I, and there may be someone here who's genuinely hungry. Most of us aren't genuinely hungry. We just, we're, we're excited to go get a pork chop when this is over, right? Or a piece of chicken or a bologna sandwich or whatever it is you're going to eat. But we're not genuinely experiencing hunger. The word hunger here means someone who is genuinely hungry. Now, in verse 25, listen to what he says. He says, what sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now? The Bible got a little offensive there, didn't it? For a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now, for your laughter will turn to mourning and sorrow. Now, this is, uh, this is interesting, and then this is absolutely the truth. You know, in our society, thin is in. Back then, fat was in. <laughs> I call that the good old days. Uh, and, and here's why. Because a person who was poor, they, had, th- th- they really had a hard time even getting money. They had a hard time scratching to get food. They lived day to day. And so people who had money, one way you saw that was not only how they dressed, but how they could blow up. And so if you saw someone who was fat, you didn't say, well, they need to go work out more. You go, man, I'd like to be like that person because they have money. That was a sign of wealth and prosperity. That's why I call that the good old days. Uh, and, and so when Jesus said the fat and prosperous, he was that, that, that literally is what he meant there. Now, it's, it's an, also, it's an interesting little touch here. Some of the wealthiest people who were probably sitting here hearing this speech were the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the, the highest religious leaders of Jesus' day. Many of them had a lot of money. They would gotten it off the backs of the people. And a lot of the money back then probably translated to the buffet of the day. And so they were prosperous. Where the average person was, was lived in great poverty. In fact, the average Jewish person that was probably sitting there was very, very poor. About 100 years before this, a Roman general named Pompey had come into this area. And he had taken, confiscated land and property from most of the Jewish people. And he had redistributed it to other people. So for almost a century, a lot of these people didn't have land. These people were very, very poor. And not just the Jewish people, but in this Mediterranean Sea area, this, these people were poor. They didn't, have, they didn't have things. They didn't have money. And, and, and they're looking to Jesus for something that's, that's missing in their life. And Jesus comes in and he flips things around on them just like he flips it around on us because they thought, many of them thought, if I could be fat... If I could have clothes, if I could have money, if I could have things, then I would be satisfied. And they also equated that kind of success with God's blessing too, which you hear that on some TVs and preachers today. Same thing this morning. Many of us feel this way. Boy, if I had some more money, things would be okay. If I had another car or a different vehicle or a different truck, everything would be good. If I could just have some more clothes, if I could, if I could join that club, if I could be a part of that group, if, if, if I could just get my portfolio to this level, then, then, then I will be happy and I will be fulfilled. And Jesus turns that upside down. He goes, guys, that's not where life is. Life is not in what you possess. 
Jesus is not condemning riches and material things. He's condemning the worship of it, the pursuit of it, the love of it, and he's saying it's foolish if you think those are the things that are going to make you happy. Everybody in here knows who Brad Pitt is. He's a famous actor. You may not know this. Brad Pitt grew up in the Southern Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri, a very conservative family. And since then, I think he's close to his family, but he's renounced his religious upbringing. And I don't know if he'd say he's an atheist, but he's not following the way of Christ at all. That's what makes this interesting. He did an interview in Rolling Stone magazine several years ago. Here's what he said. He said, I have the condos. I have the cars. I have the fame. I've been with some of the prettiest and, and, and most famous women in the world. I'm an actor who's seen all over the world. I have got money, money, money. And he said, none of that helps me sleep any better at night. He said, if you think that's what you need, and this is not a guy speaking as a redneck evangelical Christian preacher. This is a guy saying from a non-Christian viewpoint, if you think that's what's going to make you happy, you are deceived. That's not what's going to meet the deep need of your life. In Russia, in March of this year, there was an elaborate wedding. I went to a very pretty wedding last night, and we have a lot of nice weddings in, in, uh, in the Ruston area. Now, some of you who spend money on weddings recently, you know a, a wedding is painful. You young people have a great wedding, but know that it brings pain to your parents as they pay for it for the next 20 to 25 years. Nothing you've ever seen compares to this wedding. This, this is a true story. A, a, the son of a billionaire media and oil tycoon in Russia. Got, they got married, and they estimated the cost of the wedding. Everything, all included, was right at $1 billion. Can you spell idiot? I-D. Uh, that, is that not crazy? $1 billion. Let me tell you what makes that even crazier. There is no guarantee after $1 billion that that marriage is going to last. There's no guarantee there's going to be love and happiness in that home. The Beatles sang an old song, love, money won't buy you love, and that's true. That's what Jesus was trying to tell them 2,000 years ago. If you have money, you have things, that's fine as long as you got it legally and you handle it properly. But if you think that's going to meet the deep need in your life, you're wrong. Years ago, I heard someone say, money can buy a house, it can't buy a home. It can buy a ring, but it can't buy love. It can buy a bed, but it can't buy sleep. That's absolutely true. Jesus isn't condemning those things, but he's saying, if you think that's what's going to scratch the deep need in your heart, you're looking in the wrong place. And here's the second part of this. Money and things aren't going to get you into heaven. Money and things are not what's going to get you into heaven. In verse 24 and 25, Jesus swings the stick again, and he swings it uh, very thoroughly. What sorrow awaits you who are rich? For you have your only happiness now. And he's talking about people who are wealthy, who are depending on their wealth to get them where they are in life. And they're thinking because I'm wealthy and rich and poor and here on earth that somehow when I walk into heaven, God's going to say, hey, you're that wealthy person, that famous person. Come on in here. We've got, a, we've got a place especially for you because of your power here on earth. Jesus said that is nonsense. Verse 25, what sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now for a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now 
for your laughing will turn to mourning and to sorrow. Again, he's not kicking the rich and the prosperous. He's just saying, look, that's not the way to life. That's not the way to heaven. And what a terrible, terrible disappointment it's going to be for somebody. Listen, places like Ruston have more opportunity for this sin and this mistake than some villages in Africa. What horrible sorrow awaits somebody who's gone through life thinking because they prospered or strove to prosper, 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 but they sacrificed their soul for eternity. About a decade ago, there was a famous professional athlete that that died tragically in mid-20s. And this was pretty much known before his... uh, his death, but it really kind of came after. He was, a, he was a pretty not very good person. And kind of through three or four people levels, I knew a little bit about him, and they said he was a sorry person. He's a great athlete, but he's a sorry person. He made a ton of money. He was famous. He was very successful as an athlete. But at 25, suddenly something happened, and he died. And, and Steve Leach was our executive pastor, our Clayton at that time. And Steve and I were eating lunch. And I remember Steve looking at me and go, wow, I hope he had a good 25 years here on this earth. Because now he's in eternity. That's what Jesus was saying then. Jesus loves laughter. He's not condemning laughter. But he's saying if you're living the party life, you're pursuing the dollar, you're pursuing the biggest house, the biggest home, the biggest stuff, and you're, you're missing Christ, you're, gonna, you're laughing now, but you're going to miss God for eternity. Verse 25 again. Let's look at the, the last part of that, Brian. We look at the whole verse. It says, what sorrow awaits you who laugh now, for your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. A German astronaut named Ulrich Martin was asked about oxygen deprivation. Now, he was speaking as far as an astronaut, what it was like as an astronaut, and I'm sure it may be different in different areas, but here's what he said. He said, a lot of people think as an astronaut, and I'm sure part of their training and maybe even in his reality that there was times when he experienced oxygen deprivation. And he said, people think, well, you're, you're, you're suffering, it's terrible. He goes, no. He goes, the weirdest thing happens when, you, when we start losing oxygen, we get silly. He said, and we're laughing and we're cutting up and then you go to sleep. And if someone doesn't get you oxygen, then you die. But he said, the last part of that is you're just laughing and giggling like there's nothing wrong at all, but you're this close to death. That kind of fits in with that verse to the person who worships at the bank or worships the house or the car, but misses Jesus. They go through life not really happy, but giggling. And before they know it, they wake up on the other side of life. You see, Jesus, again, is not condemning these things. He's just saying if you were looking for eternity in heaven, if you were looking for the best life here, they're not found 
and money and material things. Here's where they're found. Being a disciple of Christ is how you find the real life. Now, I, I didn't say being a Christian because I wanted to find this more. And I think this is important to our understanding today. Look in verse 20. This is very easy to miss. It says, Jesus turned to his disciples and said and began to teach them. In Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, it says that Jesus, many people were gathered around. It says Jesus' disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Almost every scholar you would read on this would tell you that Jesus is not primarily teaching the big group as much as he's teaching his followers. The Sermon on the Mount and this sermon here in Luke 6 aren't as much teaching a lost person how to be saved as they're teaching saved people how to live and what a saved life is. What is a disciple? See, Jesus isn't saying, hey, if you're poor, you're going to go to heaven. If you're hungry, you're going to be happy. He's not saying that. He's talking to his disciples. What is a disciple? Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all my commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Folks, a disciple is three things. It's three things biblically. Number one, it's a convert. It's a convert. You need to be a disciple of Christ. It begins when you get saved. In the, the Great Commission, it says, go therefore and make disciples and baptize them. The first part of that, you don't become a disciple till you become a follower, you, a convert to Christ. It's a convert. Two, it's a public convert, a baptized convert. Jesus says, go and make disciples and baptize them. In other words, Jesus wants you, life is found, it begins when you give your life to Christ, you become a disciple, and you are overt about it. Jesus does not want you to be a secret follower of his. That's part of baptism. It's a public profession that I'm a follower of Jesus. And number three, it's a learner and a follower. Learner slash follower. You see, here's where some of you this morning, you are converts. You've stopped following and you stopped learning. You've grown cold. You know everything. And, and you're, you're quenching the spirit of God. You don't have this life that we're going to be looking at more in a moment. It begins when you become a convert. It's an overt convert, and it's a learner and a follower. Now, folks, I, I read this recently, and I think this is sadly true. In, in our culture today, we're making Pharisees more than we're making disciples. What do I mean by that? We've made discipleship this. You go to a class, you take notes for six weeks, ten weeks, you come out, and then you know more, but you're no different. You're just as mean as you were before you started the discipleship class, <laughs> You're just as critical. You're just as negative. You're not sharing Christ. You don't give more. You don't serve more. You just know more. And, and the more you know without doing, that corrupts your heart. In, in, in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, it says, knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. Don't be a puffer. Be a builder. Amen? In every way, don't be a puffer, right? Be a builder. A disciple is not someone who just has academic knowledge. A disciple is someone who's getting in it here and it's coming through their heart and out their hands and their feet. A disciple is one who's becoming like Christ. Jesus is talking to disciples here. Converts, overt converts, who are continually learning and following. 
And here's what he tells them, and he tells us being a true disciple is how you find true joy now. Some of, you're, some of you are searching for joy in alcohol. You're searching for it in drugs. You're searching for it in money and material things. Jesus says, if you're a true disciple of mine, this is where you're going to find it. Jesus turned to his disciples, his disciples, and said, God blesses or blessed are you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. Many of these people were dirt poor, dirt poor. In verse 21, God blesses you who are hungry now. Many of them maybe were hungry. They scratched to get food every day. You're going to be satisfied. The word blessed, let me define this for you again. If you're taking notes, please, please write this down. It means to be fully satisfied. It was a, a word used in secular Greek to describe the gods, the G-O-D-S's. They said that the gods, and we know there weren't any gods, but the gods, they lived above the fray of the world so they didn't have to deal with the problems and the issues of the world. They were always full of joy. Here's what this word blessed Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying this word blessed means God dwells in you. God gives you a joy and a happiness that nobody else can give you that's not dependent on anybody or anything else. It's a full satisfaction that comes from the Lord himself. He says, blessed are you because the kingdom of God uh, is yours. The kingdom of God, biblically, it's, it's three things. Where, obviously, where, where God reigns in heaven today, that is the kingdom of God. Someday at the end of the world, when, when the devil's cast into hell and, and Jesus, we're literally in his presence and he's reigning, that'll be the kingdom of God. But Jesus said something great. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you now if you're a child of his. Isn't that great? The kingdom of God is present and future, but it's also present in you today if God lives in you. And he says, I can give you life and joy that money, that sex, that drugs, that alcohol, that power, that control, that fame, that none of that can give. I can give this to you. What, is, what does this look like? Joy looks like happiness. Happiness and joy look the same. They just have a different source. Happiness comes from what happens. Biblical joy comes from God from within. I always get tickled at Christians that say, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not happy, but I'm full of joy. No, you're not. You're just a grouch who knows a little bit about the Bible to throw around Bible terms. If you're full of joy, it looks just like happiness. Amen. You're not a grouchy, joyful person. And Jesus said, I want to give you something. Listen, Christian, this is what we need to be praying for. God, give me this blessedness. It's found when we're a disciple. It's found when we stay in Christ and we stay close to Christ. Many of us are overworked. We're tired, we're stressed, we're striving for the wrong things. Jesus said, in me, even if you're dirt poor, even, Jesus says it'd be better to be dirt poor and hungry than a billionaire without God. You'll have more joy than they will. You don't believe that. That's what the Bible says. That's truth. This is very interesting. 1950, the average American home, let me read this just so I won't get this off. The average American home was 983 square feet. Did you get that? That's a small house. 983 square feet was the average American home occupied by 3.5 people. Don't you always like the 0.5? 
I think my little brother was like a point five in our family. Uh, <laughs> the average American home today is 2,700 square feet. 983, 2,700. Occupied by 2.2 people, whatever 2.2 is. So we've got to be happier, man. We've got less people occupying a lot more space, right? I mean, some of you grew up with an outhouse, and now there's a bathroom in every room. I'm not kicking that at all. That's cool. I didn't want to use an outhouse ever. But, but anxiety rates and suicide rates are a lot higher today than they were in 1950. Because, you see, the size of your house isn't going to meet joy in your heart. Jesus said, you become my disciple. I can give you a blessedness that the world can't take from you and that you can't get anywhere else. Here's the second part of this. Being a true disciple is where you find eternal life too. Folks, I want to tell you something sad. There'll be a lot of poor people in hell, a lot of rich people in heaven. There'll be a lot of people who will die hungry who will go to hell and a lot of people who will die fat that'll go to heaven. It's not based on your weight or your billfold. It's based on a relationship with Jesus. But he's trying to emphasize in this passage, it's easy for people to be deceived by material things. In verse 20, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. I want to read verse 21 too. God blesses you who are hungry now, You're going to be satisfied. He gives us satisfaction here, but boy, is he going to someday. You may weep now with your struggles and your pains, but in due time, you will laugh. There was a place in the Gospels where Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. For us, that means that they went on a mission trip and, you know, they had to leave their, not their phone, obviously, or their iPad, but their laptop and their you know, their girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever for a week. When Peter said, we left everything, when these people followed Jesus back then, it didn't mean, okay, well, gosh, I got to come to church at least twice a month. This is really going to be difficult. The Jewish people followed Jesus back then. They, a lot of them were kicked out of the synagogue, and the synagogue was the most important place in their community. They couldn't go anymore. When they said they left everything, they... They may have lost their family, their money. Folks, listen, even in America, uh, much less other parts of the world, there, there's, there's Muslims and there's Jewish people today that if they became a Christian, that their families would disown them. Now, again, in parts of the world, they, they'd kill them. But where their families would say, okay, if you want to become a Christian, you are no longer a part of our family, which means no inheritance, no family business, anything. You don't come home anymore. You're done. That's a steep price to follow somebody, isn't it? And it was to that person and to those people 2,000 years ago that Jesus said, listen, whatever it costs you, I can give you joy and fulfillment now that family or friends or nothing else can give you. And by the way, your money, your fame, and your fortune, and your earthly power is not going to help you any when you stand before me someday at the judgment. 
But if you're the poorest, most destitute person on earth who's a disciple of Christ, when you leave this earth, you're going to walk into heaven with Jesus. You guys remember Princess Diana? How many of you remember Princess Di? Princess Diana, um, she died on August the 31st, 1997. She was 36 when she died. She uh, had recently divorced Chuckles, who is the, the prince, Charles. And uh, she was involved with another man and uh, died tragically. She was the princess in line to be the queen of England. To, to some of us, you know, what does that mean? Let me tell you what that means. That means that you lived in the extravagance and the wealth and the power like you and I cannot imagine. Here, here's an example. It, when she was, even when she was divorced and wasn't the active princess anymore, this is the kind of thing on Friday, you could wake up and say, let's go to Hawaii this weekend. And you would get on a private jet and you'd go to Hawaii and the best suites in the hotel would be blocked off for you and a private area on the beach would be blocked off for you. And you'd go to the beach in Hawaii for a weekend. And then the next weekend, you could say, let's go to Switzerland, to the Alps to go skiing. And you could go to the Switzerland and go to the Alps and go skiing. You live in Buckingham Palace and then you've got castles all over England. You've got money. She's the most famous woman in the world at one time. She's pretty. Uh, what's on her head costs more than most of our homes, I'm sure. But after she died, one of her friends said, oh, this is so tragic, and it was tragic, because she had just recently become happy. I was sad that she died, but I wanted to vomit when I heard that. You're the stinking princess of England you're the most famous woman in the world. You've got everything at your fingertips, and you're not happy. I think that's what Jesus was talking about here, wasn't it? That stuff's not going to meet the deepest needs of your heart. And I don't have any clue on her relationship with God. One of the most powerful women in the world died in a common car wreck. And the minute she walked into heaven... God didn't say, oh, you're the, the princess of England. Come on in. It's all yours. No, she's going to enter or not enter the same way you and I are, based on whether we're a follower of Christ. For this life and the next life, the best thing Jesus said we can do is truly be his disciple. It's your call. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I'm going to challenge you a little bit more in a moment, but I hope you're thinking about have you become a lazy convert and maybe you're not a follower much anymore? You're here today and you're not a Christian. Would you pray with me? If you're ready to give your life to Christ, would you pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. Jesus, I accept that you're God's son and that you died for, for me and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart. And I give my life to you.
Let me have your attention. I want to give you a couple options this morning to respond to what we've heard. Maybe you're, you're here today and you'd like to join our church. We would love for you to do that. You need a church family to help you, to nurture you, to love you. When we stand, maybe you want to come today and join. Maybe you want to catch one of our ministers after church and let us help you do that. You come and join us today. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian and you're doing great with these things. Keep it up. Keep the pedal to the metal. Keep following. Keep learning. Keep growing in Jesus and ask Him to release that blessedness in your life. Maybe you're not where you should be. Maybe where you're standing or at the altar, you need, to, you need to get back right with Christ. Do whatever you need to do this morning to do that, Christian. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus in your life or you're ready to do that. That's the greatest thing you can do. We'll be down here waiting on you. Let's stand as God leads you. you